We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Sword and shovel. This is a series that we find ourselves in the middle of right now at Hope Church where we are looking at the story of Nehemiah. It's funny, Pastor Lance had brought up the idea of this series at the beginning of the year and I was like, oh, this is like my favorite book. I love this story. I love what it represents because I believe that God is rebuilding lives today just like he always has and you see some amazing things in this story and today I want to focus on really some practical ways on how we rebuild and maybe just help you to see what's going to happen. How's the enemy going to try to oppose you as you try to rebuild? So uh, today's message is called One Brick at a Time. One Brick at a Time. That's how we're going to rebuild today. So why don't we pray and then I will jump into the message today. Jesus, we're so grateful for your love for us, for your plan and purpose for this morning. Thank you for what you've done to this point. You've already moved. You've already challenged us. And Lord, I just pray that right now as we open up the gift of your word, I pray that it would communicate what it only can do. Lord, that it would speak to the hearts of people. So God, we just make ourselves available. We say yes to the seed of the word of God being planted in us. And Lord, help me to say what's on your heart, none of my own thoughts or Lord, anything that's not of you. I just pray that ultimately Jesus is the one lifted up today in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Amen. Awesome. I wanted to also, you know, one of the things that we are noticing in, you know, our, our nation has been in some major turmoil right now. And what's interesting in a time like this is that sometimes we have, we, we see things like we've been seeing in our nation and we think we know what's best. And a lot of times God is doing something in the middle. I, I heard someone say this week that all of 2020 and all the upheaval and everything we've seen is like the lake was drained and we see what's been at the bottom of the water. And he's talking specifically about the church and maybe how we've done church to this point. And while there are lots of things happening that disturb me as a, as a person, as a follower of Jesus, when I look, I believe that God is still working. God is doing something right now. So why don't we just take a second and pray specifically into our nation right now. So Lord, we just thank you that you are in control. You are still on the throne. And Lord, even though there are things that are happening and as far as culture and the motion and movement and direction of government and laws that are being passed and the fear and threat that we might feel, even religious liberties, we believe that you are in charge. We trust you and your church right now, we believe is on the brink of revival. And Lord, if this is what it takes to get us there, we say yes. So Lord, whatever you were doing right now, have your way and let the church rise in this moment. Let the church say yes. Let the church lift its head and not be discouraged, but see you moving. So Lord, right now as individuals, we pray for revival, not only in our nation and not only that, not that it would happen to other churches and other places, but that it would happen to me and it would happen to this church. So Lord, we invite you in. Do it right here in Kalispell. Do it right here in my heart, Lord, in Hope Church, and let it spread. Lord, I pray that you awaken the heart of every local church, every local pastor, Lord, to stir us towards revival, to challenge your people toward revival. We seek you, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this series, what we've been looking at is a story of Jerusalem 
the capital city of Israel, being torn down by the Babylonians. All of Israel was sent into what is known as a Babylonian exile, where they become slaves again for a season, and uh, they are kicked out of the promised land for a season. And now they are returning, and, uh, and with Nehemiah's leadership, they are rebuilding the walls. And one of the things that you see in, in really in this story and so many stories is that without protection, you can't have life in that city. Without, without the protection needed, without the walls, there's no life. There's no revival without building of the walls that you see in this story. And I was reminded as I was thinking about this story this week that my mom, whenever I was a kid, she was the kind of mom who always made me put a helmet on. How many of you had a mom that made you put a helmet on? Okay. Y'all from Montana, I guess y'all didn't need helmets as much as Louisiana people did. I remember riding around my bike. My mom would always be like, put your helmet on. Mom, I'm just going to ride down the street. Put your helmet on. So I put my helmet on. And then I'd get like out, out a view from the house, you know, and I'd take my helmet off and put it on the bike instead of I'm wearing a helmet. I'm too cool for a helmet. So all my life, I, when I became a teenager, I started skating and I'm skating. My mom's like, are you going to put your helmet on? I was just like, yeah, mom, whatever. I'm putting my helmet on. And I would never put it on if I didn't feel like it. A couple of um, a couple years ago, this may have been five years ago or so, I'm skiing in Big Sky, Montana. And I'd never skied in trees before. Like, I'd never skied, like, on a real mountain before, you know? Like, every, all the snow I, my skis had touched was, like, blown snow. It was, like, tap water frozen, you know? So I'm skiing in this, like, majestic, amazing place, and I'm skiing through the trees. And I don't know why, but I just felt like, you know what? This is the year. I'm going to go ahead and wear a helmet. So I wore a helmet, and I'm, I have a helmet on. I'm skiing through the trees. I'm flying, and I'm going through the trees, you know, and all of a sudden, I cut a little bit too close to one tree, and I hit this tree. I run into a tree cruising down this mountain, and I don't hit it with my skis or with my arm. I hit it with my head straight into this tree, and I fly like this. My skis up in the air. I'm laying in the powder, and I'm looking up, and as I look through the trees, you know how all the trees kind of come to this point? I'm looking straight up, and the clouds part, and my mom's face is in the clouds, (laughs) and she says, I told you so, and I was like, oh, yeah, good thing I have this helmet on. But I was thinking, like, it is so true that without protection, there is no life. And that's why Nehemiah saw the urgency of rebuilding the walls in this moment for Jerusalem and Israel to be revived. The walls had to be built. The walls had to be rebuilt to protect from the attacks of the enemy. So I'm going to jump back just a little bit. We're in Nehemiah 4 today. But I'm going to look back at how the enemy began his attack back in Nehemiah 2. So in verse 10, it says this. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. In verse 19, it says, they scoffed contemptuously. And in verse 20, Nehemiah replies, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. And I love this. He says, but you, speaking to Sanballat and Tobiah, have no share, no legal right, no historic claim in Jerusalem. And what's amazing about this story is that it it lets us know who Sanballat and Tobiah are. Sanballat, it says, is a Horonite. And the other guy, Tobiah, what's his name? uh, Tobiah is an Ammonite. Both of these nationalities were ancient enemies of Israel. 
that had been driven out of the promised land so that Israel could inhabit the promised land Jerusalem is built. But this old enemy makes a return. Isn't it funny how the enemy likes to do that? The enemy likes to come back. Things that have happened in the past, enemies that you thought were defeated, and all of a sudden they rear their head again. And you're like, wait, I thought I was past this. I didn't think I was going to have to deal with this enemy again. I've matured. I've grown. I've won a lot of fights since then. And now all of a sudden I'm having to listen to these guys again. The Horonites were a, a group of people that were from Moab the people of Moab. So you've probably heard the Moabites even more in the Old Testament. This is what they were characterized as. The Horonites were characterized as men of anger or men of fury. The Ammonites were characterized as vengeful, predatory, nomadic tribe. This is the kinds of people that are after Nehemiah and the Israelites as they're trying to rebuild. But I want to tell you something that is really going to help you out. I'm going to give you three things today that if you think of these things as you're rebuilding, they're going to really help your rebuilding process because Nehemiah sees what they're doing. He sees the attack, the vocal attack of these guys, and he's like, you have no right here. This isn't your land. You have no reason to be here, so get out. So I, I just want to encourage you with this. The enemy only has as much power over you as you allow him to have. He's an ancient enemy, and he's going to come, and he's going to talk a big game, but he only wins if you let him win. Here's the first point. Defeated enemies don't always act defeated. Defeated enemies don't always act defeated. Sometimes they don't even know they're defeated, and you got to remind them that, they're that they are defeated. And I love that Nehemiah is like, none your business, all right? Like, you can come over here, and you can say all this stuff, and you can scoff at us, but this is none of your business. So, I mean, you see this in this world today. You see, we live in a cancel culture world. I'm sure you've heard that term. Where everybody's canceling everybody. You say something offensive, you get canceled. You say something that ruffles somebody's feathers. Nobody wants to hear from you anymore. And not only that, but we live in, our culture loves to see people fall. If you don't fall on your own, I'm going to kick your legs out from under you because I just love it. That's what our culture is like. We love to watch each other fall. And these guys, they have no historic claim in Jerusalem. I love that, that reference. Like they don't really want Jerusalem. They just don't want Israel to have Jerusalem. So the enemy doesn't want your purpose and your direction and your, he just doesn't want you to have it. So the, what I love about this is that Nehemiah sees it for what it is and he's like, oh, no, 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 you're not going to speak into this. There's always an enemy trying to take advantage of you when you fall. This year we went to youth camp with uh, the students and Brooke and I were staying in one of the cabins and we brought Judah with us to youth camp and we're staying there in the last night of youth camp, we get like this, August cold front. I've like, it's never been under 100 degrees in my life in August. And I come up to Montana, kids are swimming one day, the next day they're like, it's freezing cold, nobody's getting in the lake. So we're out at Dickey Lake, we're in this cabin, and we didn't bring enough stuff. Like, we're cold. So we're on this blow-up mattress, we've got like a little thin blanket with us. We're cold, we're shivering all night, trying to like cuddle and everything, but we can't cuddle too much because our six-year-old son's in the, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so he's got... He's got two sleeping bags. He's got one he's on. He's got one that's on top of him. So he's sleeping and he's doing great. All of a sudden, middle of the night, we're shivering and I hear doo-doo. 
And I wake up and my son fell out of the bed. He fell out of the bunk onto the floor. And I rush to his help because I'm such a good father, you know. And I, I pick him up and I, I hold him. And in the darkness, I hear my wife say, grab his sleeping bag. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> Dang, girl, you ruthless. <laughs> and that's just what the enemy is like. Oh, no, I'm, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble for this story. <laughs> But for real, the enemy will look for the moment when you're already down. When you're looking at an impossible task, how, do, how in the world do I do this? And you know what's crazy is the enemy will often use, like what does the Bible say, Ephesians 6, we do not struggle against flesh and blood, right? But the enemy loves to use flesh and blood to make us struggle. So even though you're not fighting that person, it sure feels like it. And it feels like, man, it would be so easy if I made Pastor David my enemy right now. I got, I, got, I got a target. I can handle that. It's something in the natural, something in the physical. But whenever you're fighting a supernatural battle, you have to love the person, pray for the person while, you, while they're the one causing you pain. It's a tough battle, but Nehemiah recognized it. He's like, listen, these guys, this is an ancient enemy. I know what these guys are about, and these guys aren't really my enemy. That's why you see Nehemiah again and again going to the Lord in prayer in this moment. So Nehemiah 4, verse 1, it says they begin to make some progress, and then Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. So he flew into a rage, remember his, what his clan was known as, angry, and he mocked the Jews saying in front of his friends, the Sumerian officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in just a single day by offering sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And look at this detail he throws in. And charred ones at that. It's like he twists a knife. Tobiah the Ammonite, who's standing there besides him, remarked, and I imagine like the little short bully on a Christmas story, you know, he's like egged on. He's like, yeah, yeah, and that stone wall would collapse if even a fox, a fox walked along the top of it. So you see these guys clowning Israel's like progress. They're finally making progress. There's revival happening. The walls are being rebuilt. And the enemy comes in and begins to mock their progress. And what does the enemy do? The enemy begins to mock who they are, their identity as Jews, their religious practices, offering sacrifices before the Lord. So they begin to mock their history, like what they've been through, their, 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 not only their progress, but how they're going about it, that they're relying on God. They're trying, to, they're trying everything. They're trying anything they can to discourage. And the thing that sticks out to me the most about this is that one little jab where he says, how are you think you're going to make something of these ruins? And not only are they ruins, but charred stones at that. Charred ruins at that. And what, I, what is crazy about this is these are ancient enemies coming back to capitalize on a more recent enemy's defeat of the Israelites. So Babylon had come in under King Nebuchadnezzar and they burned Jerusalem to the ground. It says in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 19, then his, King Nebuchadnezzar's army, burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the places and completely destroyed everything of value. 
So this ancient enemy is coming and saying, hey, remember how you got defeated? Remember that, what Babylon did to you? It's because you guys are worthless. It's because you guys are sinners. It's because he's casting all these accusations at them. The battles you thought you won in the past, you didn't really win them because you got defeated by another enemy. And all you are is a loser. And I wonder how many times the enemy will speak things like that into your life. I can't tell you how many times I have been ready to walk onto a stage to preach the gospel and I hear louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit, Satan, or not Satan because I'm not that important, but some demon speaking to me, you're not worth it. You're not worthy of this. You're not worthy to hold that microphone. You can't speak to anybody. Don't you remember this stuff? Don't you remember who you really are? The accusations rain down consistently on anyone in ministry because we are not pulling from our own strength. It's the Spirit of God and only the Spirit of God that enables a human to do ministry. But the enemy likes to come and say, all you are is a human and you're working in your own strength. And I know I'm not, but I hear that voice all the time. You can't do that. You can't rebuild. You can't speak into someone's life. Who do you think you are? And the moment you step into the spotlight, I heard someone say years ago that the moment you step up and you get yourself up above the crowd and you say, you know what, I'm going to serve the Lord, you become an easy target for the enemy. And the enemy's just scanning the crowd and he sees you. He's like, oh, you want to be somebody? And he starts flinging the arrows. And that's exactly what will happen. The moment you begin to rebuild, the moment you begin to make progress, he'll start flinging those arrows. But I love this. This is so cool. The enemy's like, it's a bunch of rubble and it's all burnt up stones. What are you going to do with that? Here's, a, here's the next point that I want you to write down. And I hope this encourages you. Charred stones are still stones. Charred stones are still stones. You know, what's funny is like the way that we look at things really matters. So like you can look at a stone and you can say, when well, that thing's all burnt up, I can't really use that anymore. But you can just dust that ash off. You can just get rid of that and still rebuild with that stone. Fire's not going to destroy that stone. They make ovens out of stones. You can, it can take some heat. And there might be a season in your life where you get some char, where you get, where you get attacked by the enemy and you take some flaming arrows and you are wondering, what do I do with this? Those charred stones are still stones. Even though the enemy would say that's not useful, it's still worthy of building with. I heard a story of this guy, Blake McFarland. He was a, uh, a minor league and, and major league baseball player for a little while. But while he was a baseball player, he's also an artist. And he was driving down the road one day, and he sees this playground that has one of the features in the playground was a bunch of old tires, and he said he got inspired. So he sees these old tires, and he's like, I wonder what I could do with that. So he begins to take old tires, get them delivered to his house, and like try to make something of these old tires. And he began sculpting animals and these like amazing things out of old tires. So he's taking these tires, and he's creating these like works of art. But what is an old tire? An old tire ends up, you know, being burned or, well, not supposed to be burned, you know, <laughs> but it gets thrown away or whatever. And people look at an old tire as like, that's not useful. But this guy saw something different, and he became so good at it that colleges all around the country began commissioning him to make their mascot into like a tire statue to bring to games and different things like that. And they're on display in art exhibits and all this. He created something beautiful out of something forgotten. Even though your life might have some charred stones in it, it's still something to work with. 
And, and the enemy is going to be doing all this stuff on the outside, but he can't have access to the inside unless you let him. It's just like in the story of Job, the enemy touches everything on the outside, but he does not have access to the inside. So he can burn the outside. He can mess with the stone on the outside and make it look like it's not worthy of being used anymore, but it's not the truth. See, you got to make sure that you guard that and say, you know what? I have a pile of rubbish. I know I've got some history. I know I've got some things that don't look very good, but I'm going to rebuild with whatever God puts in my hand. And the enemy will often try to say, that's not going to be used, that thing in your past. But God will say, that's the thing I want to use. Love how God tells Moses, what's in your hand? Moses is like, I just got this stick. I'm just a shepherd. That's what I want. That's what I want to use. Verse 6 of Nehemiah 4, it says this, At last the wall is completed to half of its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Boy, isn't it just like the enemy in the middle of progress, the walls being built. You're in 21 days of prayer and fasting, which if you're anything like me, there's been a lot of 21 days of prayer and fasting in my life that I could have renamed 21 days of battle. That in those moments when you feel like you're making progress and you're, being, and you're getting closer to the Lord and God is doing something in your life, the enemy will come. And he's going to bring some stuff against you in that moment. Whenever he sees progress, he gets threatened and he comes at you. And he's going to come at you in those moments. But I love how Nehemiah makes a decision that we are praying in this moment. We're being attacked and our first response is we're going to pray. But then it says, they also guarded the city. So there was a combination of prayer and guarding themselves and to hear more on that, Pastor Lance is going to dissect the rest of chapter 4 next week. And it's going to be powerful as you look at like where our title of this series came from, sword and shovel at the same time, those two things. So verse 10, let's look at that. It says, then the people of Judah began to complain. This is fascinating. They're making progress. The enemy comes in, begins to spew more accusations. And it says, the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there is so much rubble. So much rubble. They're discouraged by the pile they see in front of them. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. In verse 12, the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Man, what a crazy situation. You see this progress, and then all of a sudden, it seems like things are turning, and the good guys are getting discouraged. What's happening? What's happening here? It's like the enemy just keeps on spewing this poison, this discouragement, and all of a sudden, Judah begins to, to complain. Then the rest of them start to complain. They're like, man, this is not possible. We're just not going to be able to do it. The sheer scale of it intimidated them. I used to do home construction for a few years and I've kind of had, I've had opportunities to play a part in every role in construction. So from framing all the way to finish work. And there was one thing in Louisiana, we build a lot of houses with brick because of tropical storms. So some houses are all brick. And I remember 
they had a guy one time he was I was working with him and he was like would you like to learn how to lay bricks and I was like no no I no because if I learn how to lay bricks someday somebody's going to ask me to come lay bricks I don't want to know how to lay bricks because I looked at it and I'd be like there's like a million bricks on this house and you got to start with one like I'm not I'm not that kind of guy that looks at a like you get pallets of bricks delivered and that's all gone on this house. I'm like, no thanks. I didn't want to do it. So I didn't learn how to do it. Sometimes I regret it, but I never learned how to lay bricks because I saw the overwhelming task ahead and I was like, I don't know. And, and I think that's what the enemy wants to do too. He wants to discourage you by looking at the rubble, look at the pile, look at the bricks. Look at what's ahead. Oh, you say you want revival? Look at all the work that's to be done. Do you really want revival? Do you know the work it's gonna take? And that's the kind of stuff he'll speak to you. But here's, here's the last thing that I want to encourage you with. Because you're going to do it. If you, if you listen to the Spirit of God and he's urging you to begin to lay some bricks, you're going to do it. And it's going to be one brick at a time. But it's your responsibility. Here's the last point. Your wall, your responsibility. Your wall, your responsibility. And here's the tagline for it. You can't outsource bricklaying. You can't get somebody else to build your wall. It's your wall. You have to do the hard work of rebuilding whenever it looks like there's just shambles, just rubble laying there. So what am I going to do? I'm going to forgive. I'm going to lay down that sin. I'm going to put it behind me. I'm going to work on my marriage. I'm going to spend time with the Lord early in the morning. It's one brick, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to lay this brick today. And then by the end of the week, I'm going to have 40 bricks laid. And by next month, I'm going to have 200 bricks laid. And in five years, in 10 years, the whole wall will be rebuilt. And what I love about this is that, you know, sometimes it's like so intimidating. And we're like, we love to see completion, right? You know, like we love to see it done. And our whole life, it's like this is built into our story that we never stop laying bricks. I was in, in Mexico, and we noticed all these homes that were built, and they all had rebar sticking up out of the top. And I was like, what's the rebar on top of the houses? Like, none of these houses are done. And they're like, we leave the rebar in case we want to add on. In case we want to lay some more bricks, we'll be ready any day. And I just love that perspective that we're never going to stop laying bricks. I'm going to keep rebuilding. I'm going to keep, because the enemy is going to keep attacking, but I'm going to keep laying those bricks. I saw this, this really powerful illustration of these people who live in and near a landfill. And when I say that, you're probably thinking, how terrible does that sound? It does sound terrible. But you're going to see that their perspective and their view of that landfill is much different than you or I would imagine it to be. And you're going to see they do something pretty spectacular with it as well. Check this out. ¿Entienden? Bueno, entonces tienen que atender. Thank you.
Is that amazing or what? And here's the difference. The only difference between that community and us, well, maybe two, they can actually make instruments out of garbage. It's pretty great talent. But their perspective, they saw it differently than I would see it. They saw a pile of rubbish. They saw the heap and they saw potential. They saw what could be done with this. What could be made out of this? And when they play that first note of music and it's like, this thing sings. How beautiful is that? In every moment that you lay one of those bricks that seem to be just from a rubbish pile, God is glorified. And it's an act of worship when you say, you know what? It does look like a mess. We're all a mess. We all got bricks. We all got rubbish heaps. But whenever we say, you know what, Lord, if you want to use this, if you want to direct people to your grace through this some kind of way, please do it. And we begin to lay bricks and it honors Jesus. There's a, there's a verse, it's fascinating to me that you see this in scripture a few different times. And really, you know, the enemy doesn't really have any new tricks. He's pretty limited. So you see what the enemy is going to do and what the Israelites and all those rebuilding the wall are worried about. It says they heard the enemy's plan and the plan was that they would, in the middle of the night, swoop down, kill them, and end their work. Swoop down, kill them, and end their work. They would swoop in like a thief at night when no one's watching, kill them and end or destroy their work. John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's all he does. He's gonna try to get to you in your most vulnerable moment, catch you while you're sleeping like a thief. And then he wants to come and kill you. And if that's not bad enough, and I always was like, what could be worse than killing you? The enemy wants to destroy you. And I love this clue that Nehemiah gives us that destroy means ending your work. Because there's something worth than dying. Dying without eternal impact. Dying without purpose. And what I love about this is it reminds me, you know what? The enemy's just shooting in the dark here. He's just throwing his same stuff out there. So even though he, it may seem super and ultra tailored to you, you can recognize it if you know where to look. You know, scientists have discovered in November of 2020, there was an article that was released in a scientific journal. And the title is, Bats Can Tell the Future. And I was like, what does that mean? This is super interesting though. So I'm reading, I heard, I heard about it in a podcast first and went back and read some of the articles. And what they discovered is that bats, 
or one of the animals in the animal kingdom that use sonar and echolocation to bounce back a signal of what's in their environment. So if they're in a cave or in uh, an old building, they can basically create a 3D map of that environment by sending out sonar and using echolocation. So they can tell as stuff is moving, what is potential prey. So even though they're blind as a bat, they can still attack and kill something because of that echolocation. But here's where the future telling thing comes in. They can estimate where prey will end up even if it goes behind an obstacle where the sonar is blocked. So imagine a fly flying in this barn, goes behind a stack of lumber. The bat can meet it on the other side by anticipating its trajectory and meeting it there. That's exactly what the enemy does with us. The enemy is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know your thoughts, but he's really good at, at anticipating our motion at meeting us at swooping down while we're sleeping and meeting us in the place we aren't expecting. That's exactly what these guys wanted to do against Nehemiah. It's exactly what the enemy is trying to do, but I want you to see the contrast. So that's what the enemy likes to do steal from us, kill us, destroy us. Jesus says this, but my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Rich and satisfying is a term that the New Living Translation tries to sum up this Greek word, peri. And this Greek word peri means this, properly, all around, on every side, encompassing, used a full comprehensive consideration where all the bases are covered. What Jesus is saying is that everything you could possibly be looking for is found in me. I am the purpose of your life. So the enemy comes and tries to rob and steal and Jesus is like, here's this one thing. I am everything you're looking for. And I love this picture because you see Jesus use this illustration where he says, he tells this parable of people building their life and one builds it on the sand and the storm and winds and waves comes and that structure falls. Somebody else builds it on a rock and that structure stands in the wind and waves. We are called to rebuild and to make something of the bricks that, that fall throughout the course of our life. Sometimes they fall before we know Jesus. Sometimes they fall afterwards. The enemy wins a few battles. But in that rubbish heap, we are called continually to rebuild, to rebuild, to rebuild. What do you build on? Where do you put the first one? The first stone is a stone that is unshakable. The first stone is a stone that was laid before the foundations of the earth. That is the cornerstone of our faith and his name is Jesus. And if you don't put that first stone down, it's no use putting any other bricks up. He is the foundation of your wall. You want protection from the enemy? You feel attacked? Those walls are gonna stumble so easily if we don't build on him first. And here's the thing I, I noticed about this last little detail is that it says that it was Judah and the Israelites, all these people from the good guys started getting discouraged. And why does it say they were discouraged? It says in verse 12 that the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. I wonder if there are some people in your life, or maybe you're the person, you're living a little too close to the enemy. And all you know how to communicate 
is fear and distress and this is not going to work and I'm going to fall again or someone else is saying those things about you. You're not going to amount to anything. You tried that already. You going back to church? You go try that marriage again? You're going to try to make things right? You're doing what? I've seen your history. You got to learn to shut those voices up that are stopping you from rebuilding. We got to quiet that noise. Here's the thing I want you to do today. We've got a couple of rubbish heaps of Lego bricks on the corners of the stage. And just as a, as a token for you to remember and as a, and a step of faith, I want to challenge you in a moment to come and grab one of these so that this week or today you can keep it in your pocket, keep it in your hand and say, Lord, I'm going to begin to lay some bricks. I'm going to begin to make some progress in my life. I'm going to do that difficult thing. And I'm going to start right now. This is, going to, this is hopefully going to remind you to do that. But the first brick you need to lay, or you need to build on, is Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, don't even try to build it. It won't last. So I'm going to ask you to do something really quick. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. Give you just a moment of privacy for those in the room or if you're online. The way you can respond to this online is if you feel like the Spirit of God is saying you need to come to Jesus today, just put in the comments and say, hey, that's me. I believe. I made a decision. I believe. If you're in the room today and this is your decision, I want you to write on that Connect card, I made a decision to follow Jesus today. So I'm going to ask you with nobody looking around, is there anybody in this room that today you need to begin to lay on the foundation of Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to return to him. Maybe you've been wandering, you've been far away. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're making a decision right now. I recognize my need for Jesus and I wanna surrender my life to him. If that's you, if you'd say, I'm not faithfully following Jesus today, but I'm tired of it. I'm done and I'm ready to build on the rock. If that's you, you say, I need Jesus today. Could you just lift up your hand? Thank you, I see it. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Why don't we do this together? Why don't we all stand up? And just as a congregation, we're gonna pray this prayer together, support our brothers and sisters who lifted their hands today and we say, you know what, we all need Jesus. So let's just pray a prayer of repentance, a, pray, a prayer of laying our lives down so that we can begin to build on the rock of Jesus. Let's say this, let's say, Lord Jesus, I recognize my need. I can't do it. I'm a sinful person. But today I walk away from that. I walk away from my past and I step towards you. I believe you're the perfect son of God. And you died my death on a cross so I could be made whole, so I could be friends of God. So today I accept that free gift. I invite you in and I choose to follow you from this day on in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.